We are in a, we are in between uh, two sermon series. So if you if this is your first time joining us, this is a special day. You get to hear from me. <laughs> but um, if you've been joining, if you've been with us for a few weeks, you know that last the past few weeks, uh, Pastor John Mark has been walking through um, the way of Jesus and and helping us just kind of walk alongside and figure out how we live as Jesus lived and walk as Jesus walked. And um, we're actually starting a series next week that I'd encourage you plan on being here for all of it. It's it's the uh, the the book of Acts. Sorry, it's not a new title. The book of Acts, and so we're gonna walk through. Uh, Acts, and we're going to walk through the Acts of the Disciples and all that, and it's going to be incredible. And so this morning, um, my heart was just kind of going to this question of what now? You know, we've been hearing about for, a, for about a month of just how to follow Jesus, but what now? And I want to start with just a story, because I love telling stories about my childhood, because you would think they're made up, but they're not. In fact, they are real, true embarrassing stories. And so go with me to Mikey at the age of nine. Um, I have three older brothers. Um, we, uh, we are all very much brothers and pick on each other and fight. And there was a night that we were having dinner. It was a Friday night um, and we were having dinner and my parents were like, hey, boys, we got your Dessert. We got your favorite dessert. This was my favorite dessert. I don't know if it was my brother's favorite dessert or not, but it was mine. My favorite dessert of all time. Um, they said, we've got it. It's going to be for after dinner. Behave, you know. Um, the dessert was, is still my favorite, is the, the dreamsicles. Who remembers the dreamsicle? What a dreamsicle is. Um, this, the, I was explaining it the first service, and I was like, it's like this orange popsicle, and it's got like this cream-like stuff from heaven, and then... Trish in the crowd says, it's just vanilla ice cream and ruined my childhood. But, um, but really, it was, it's, a, it's, a, it's a popsicle and it's amazing and I love it and I still love it today. It's my favorite flavor of all time, orange dreamsicles. And my parents were at the dinner table and I'm all hyped up and ready because I'm like, I can't wait. I'm eating this whatever it was, hamburger helper probably. And I'm eating the hamburger helper, three cheese, one, it's amazing. Uh, picking on my brothers, being the little brother, annoying little brother that I am. And my parents kept saying over and over, stop or we're going to send you to bed without a dessert. And what happens is, is that I don't stop and they send me to bed without dessert. And I am heartbroken. And so I'm walking up to bed and I'm just like, I will get them. I'm going to get them. And so I lay in bed and just angry and just laying there. And I'm like, I, you know what? This is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to wait for the lights to go out. And then they're going to be in sleep. And then I'm going to get out of bed and I'm going to go downstairs. I'm going to go to the freezer. I'm going to open it up. The glow of the Holy Spirit will show me the orange dreamsicles. I will take a dreamsicle and I will walk back upstairs. I will lay in bed and I will enjoy my spoils. And that's exactly what I did. I saw the lights go out in the house and I'm like, okay, I'll wait. They're not asleep yet. They're old. It takes a while. It's fine. Waited in about like six minutes. That sounds about right. So I waited the six minutes. I was like, okay, it's time. I get up. I go out of my door. I go down the stairs. I circle around the living room into the freezer area. I open the freezer, the glow, the orange dreamsicles. They're there. They're waiting for me. I grab one. I run back upstairs. I get in bed and I enjoy the dreamsicle. And it was amazing. It was delicious. 
Fast forward to the morning, my dad walks in and he says, Mikey, did you go downstairs after we put you to bed and get a dreamsicle? Or get a popsicle, he didn't call it a dream. I keep calling it a dreamsicle. Did you get a popsicle? And I was like, no, dad, I don't care about it that much. No, I just went to bed and it was, you know, whatever. And he's like, okay, well, come on downstairs whenever you're ready. And uh, we've we'll we got breakfast ready. And I was like, okay, cool. I get out of bed. I open the door. I get to the staircase in our house. And I look down. And to my horror, there are white footprints going all the way down the stairs. And I look, and they're going all the way to my bedroom. And I'm puzzled. And I get to the bottom of the staircase, and there is a bed of flour that is at the bottom of the staircase that as I went and ran to, I ran through the flour, went all the way to the freezer, and then the white footprints went all the way back up to my bed and were waiting for me in my bed. I got into a lot of trouble. <laughs> Not only for disobeying him for lying and all kinds of stuff. Why do I tell you this story? I tell you this story because I feel like, I feel like there is this, I wanted to take this pause between these, after this sermon and after these series and just say, hey, there is a, there is a reality in each of us that, that sometimes we fail. Sometimes we screw things up. Sometimes something happens in our life. Sometimes something's broken and it causes us to move in a direction that we never wanted to go. And I wanted to stop and, and, and ask that question of, when we, when we take a step back and we look at our life, we ask the question, well, what now? I've already screwed up. It reminds me of another story. Can I tell another story? Um, fast forward a little bit. 15-year-old Mikey now. Um, I get invited to this um, baseball camp. Um, it's like a baseball academy. It's, it's just a way of making it more expensive. But it's a baseball academy, and I got to go there for a month, and it was in New York City. And so I went with a friend of mine, and we get to go to New York City, and we're playing at this baseball um, academy um, all week or all month. And we're there, and it's just amazing. And uh, we actually are staying with his aunt. Um, and she, I mean, I don't, I'm not exaggerating when I say she had a mansion. Like, it was massive. Like, there, were, there was like a butler and a cook. and like all, I mean, it was like all the things you would think of going to a mansion, and I was just, we were staying at her house, and it was like, it was, it was weird. It was really creepy, honestly. There were like old doors, like, you know, creepy, but I remember after the baseball each night, we would, like, on the weekends, we would do something special, you know. We would go into the city and experience New York City, right, um, and so 15-year-old Mikey, we went to, like, a French restaurant. It was, like, a five-star restaurant, and we had to wear, like, a tie, and we had to sit down, and it was disgusting. I hated it. I was like, I just want fried chicken and fries, but they gave us like salad that didn't have dressing on it, and it was just really bad, and we had duck, I think. It was like a duck meal. I just remember. It was terrible. I hated it, but we went, we, we sat, and we endured. But then one night, we said we went to something else that I'd never been to, and for, it has forever changed my future. We went to somewhere called Broadway. And we were like, oh, what is Broadway? Okay, this is cool. Again, 15-year-old Mikey, I was like, whatever, I don't know. And we walked in, and we sat down, and the lights came down, and this play started. And I've never seen, at that point, I've seen like high school plays, but I've never seen a play or a musical like this. And it was The Lion King. And it was amazing. And I still remember the opening scene, and Rafiki was 
doing what he does and it was singing and, and it was just mind-numbingly loud and powerful and just the whole experience was amazing. And even today, I still love musicals. Like my favorite movie of all time is, obviously, it's in the title, The Greatest Showman. And so I just love musicals and, and it's changed me. But I remember this one specifically because of the story. And I remember there was a moment in the story where if you've never seen the movie, spoiler alert, but Mufasa, he dies, um, which is the dad, the king, and his son, Simba, was out of place. He was doing something he wasn't supposed to be. He was at the graveyard when his dad said, do not go there. He went there, got in trouble. Dad came and tried to save him. Dad slipped, fell off the rock, died, got trampled. Horrible story, right? But Simba, Simba, I remember watching this little boy that was playing the, 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 the child Simba ran out and knelt down next to his dad and was just like, dad, get up. Dad, get up. And I could still remember watching this little boy play this lion. Now that he was a lion. But he was playing this lion and begging for his dad to get up. And then what happens next? Scar enters the scene. And Scar enters it. And if you don't know Scar, Scar is the uncle. And the uncle that, that was the evil, the bad guy, and he came up to Simba. And I still remember today, he said, look what you've done. You because of you, you killed the king. What would your mother think of you? And he says, run, run away and never come back. And I remember hearing that. And in the moment, I was like, oh, poor guy, you know, but, but what happens next is Simba runs off and he, he meets a meerkat and he meets a warthog and they sing Hakuna Matata and they eat bugs and they, they bounce around and they dance around. But what the reality is, is that Simba was called to be king and he was running around with meerkats and warthogs. And my question, my heart for us this morning is, is that I believe that there are some of us in here today that You've experienced this. Maybe in your Christian life, you've experienced this. Morgan and I did student ministry for 15 years, and, and it's been, it was an amazing season of our life. But now, on the, on the other side of it, is we're seeing these, these students that were in high school that were just passionately going after the Lord and just loving the Lord. And like, uh, they were telling their school everything. They were bringing their Bibles to school, and they were just like, just unashamedly just going for it. And now I talk to them. And they're not living a life of crime. They're not in the mafia. They're not doing anything like that. They are just adults. They're just living life. They've got their kids. They've got their families. They've got their mortgage. They've got, you know, their debt. They've got their, their issues. They've got everything going on. And they've just kind of, they're just kind of living, living like, like Simba. You know what I mean? Like, it's just kind of like, yeah, I'm just kind of doing my life. God's there. I mean, he's a part of it. But they're not living in this experience that they are called to be the king. They're called to the greater thing that, 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 that their father is calling them to and saying, hey, I've wanted this for you. Or maybe it's some of us that we're, we're, we're thinking, it's like, you know what? Actually, that looks like my, in my life, that looks like a, like a big failure, actually. There were some things that I did that caused me to run that caused me to take off, that caused me to, to move away from Jesus, move away from the church, deconstruct my, my faith and, and just run because of the horrible things that I did to people. And I can't, I can't get that back. I can't fix that. 
Or maybe some of us, it's that some horrible things have happened to us, that this broken world has hurt us so much that we're like, there can't be a God if that's real. And my question for us this morning is, is that what do we do when we fail? What do we do when we fail? And we're just going to use that term fail. And I, don't, I know it's not, I'm not saying everyone in here is like in this place of a deep, dark secret that they're failing, but there, but there is a place where you look in the mirror and you're like, you know what, this is not the person that I, I feel like God was wanting me to be. Or maybe it's been a week that's been just a struggle. It's just been a, it's been a tough week. It's been a tough month. It's been a tough season. And, and the question this morning is, is, what do we do? What is our response when we fail? And then the second question would be, what is God's response to us when we fail? And I want to answer those questions this morning using a story about a guy named Peter. Peter. Um, Peter, if you know Peter, if you know anything about Peter, is that Peter, um, he was one of the disciples. He was that bold, brash, just like all in kind of ready, aim, ready, fire, ready, ready, fire, aim, ready, fire, aim kind of a guy. Like he's just like, he just kind of goes for it. He doesn't really think. He's not like a, a super deep thinker. He just kind of just does, right? And he's, he's like that bold, brash guy. And so, but he's also like the guy that was like, hey, Jesus, even, you know, Jesus is like, hey, guys, I'm going to the cross, um, and then when I go to the cross, you're all going to abandon me. And Peter's like, no, 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 that's never going to happen. These guys may do it, but I'll never abandon you. And Jesus is like, yeah, you will. Or, or it's the, the guy, Peter's like the guy that Jesus was getting arrested, and Peter's like, no, you can't do that. And he tries to, like, kill a guy, and he just cuts his ear off, and Jesus is like, come on, Peter, and, like, puts his ear back on. That's Peter. But there's a moment in Peter's life that I believe is his greatest, his greatest failure. And I'm going to read it for us. It's in Luke 22. Apologies. Luke 22. And again, this is Jesus. He's been arrested. Uh, he's being taken to different houses and different places to be put on trial, and he's being put in front of the courts. And it says this in verse 44, uh, 54, it says, And then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. And then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man was also with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and whipped better, bitterly. How, do, how does a person like that fail? so big and move on what now 
I was thinking about this, just like just putting myself in the story of, of what's happening and that, that, that Peter is not just denying Jesus behind his back. How many of us have been, how many of us have been betrayed behind our back and then we found out about it later, right? If that's hurtful. But I'm, Hunter, why don't you come up here real quick? I, gotta show, I, gotta, I, just wanna, I just wanna show us what's actually happening in this. And so this is Jesus, welcome, welcome Jesus to the stage. Look at that hair, my goodness. Uh, Jesus, we're gonna move you down a little bit. And so Peter's here sitting by a fire talking to these people and Jesus is maybe a little bit further than where, where Hunter is. And Peter begins to say, I don't know that man. And then another child says, wait, 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 haven't I seen you with Jesus? And Peter says, no, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know that man. And then a third one. We haven't rehearsed this, but as I say it, I want you to look, okay? (laughs) Weren't you with Jesus? You're a Galilean. Weren't you with Jesus? No, I don't know that man. It hurts my heart. Thanks, brother. Give it up for Jesus. Good job. I wanted us to see that because what it is is that this isn't something that's happening on a distant distance away from each other. This is happening where it even says in Scripture, it says, it says, and immediately while he was still speaking, Jesus looked and saw Peter. I believe it's because he heard Peter. So my heart, my, 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 my question is, is that, what, what now? Because Jesus is sitting there. He's, he's going to the cross. He's, he's got his arms locked. He's, he's arrested. And he's listening to this conversation that's happening between one of his best friends and these kids. And he hears one comment after the other. The first comment of Peter saying, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't know that guy. And the heartache, the, 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 the pain that that would cause someone. That Jesus is hearing that and saying, oh, that's one. And then hearing it again and hearing it again, him saying, I don't even know that man. That's two. Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Here comes the third one. And while he's still speaking, Jesus looks at him. I can't imagine what what would be going on in that moment? And so my question for us this morning is, how do we respond when we fail? What's our response? Like I said, we, we may not all have been in this position. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a failure of just missing, the, missing where, where God's been calling us to, or maybe it's something that's been happening to us. But, but what is our response when we look in the mirror at one morning, where we look in and we realize we're not where we were supposed to be? What's our response? Well, we're going to use Peter as an example. John 21, 1 through 3. And it says, after this, the after this is that Jesus has been crucified He's been buried and now he has risen again. He's, he has is, he is, um, presented himself to Mary and the other women. He has said, hey, tell the disciples, tell the guys that I'm coming back and I'm going to present myself. I'm going I'm to show up to them and then also tell Peter. Make sure Peter knows. And so this is when he meets him. And after this, 
Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. First to Simon Peter, then Thomas, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two others of his disciples were, with, were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, We will go with you. And they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. How do we respond so often in that moment? That we created this failure, we created this sin, we created this, this deep rooted sin or something happened to us or something caused us to be pushed away or we just, we just allowed our adult life to kind of just make us kind of go off and be Simba into the, the wilderness with a meerkat and a, a warthog. What is, what is our response sometimes? Our response is at times the same as Peter's. He says, I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. And now, here, when we hear that, understand that that's not like me saying to Morgan, hey, I'm going to go play football. You know, or I'm like, hey, because she'll think, okay, you're going to go play football. You're going to strap up, get the little flags. It'll be cute. It'll be fun. It'll be, it'll be great. You're going to be sore for the next four days, but that's fine, you know, because that's kind of what she'll think. She'll be like, oh, yeah, what you mean by you're going to go play football is that you're going to go have fun and play football and, and enjoy it and whatever, and then you're going to come home and be fine. You know, or like some of us, we, I don't know, I don't understand this. But we enjoy fishing. I don't know. It seems to some people are like, yeah, it's relaxing. Uh, I think it's stressful and I think it's boring, but some people really like it. Um, and so, but Peter's not saying that. Peter's not saying, hey, this is just a casual thing I'm doing, or hey, this is, I'm going to go with my boys and we're going to go cast some fish or whatever. What he's saying is he's saying, I'm just going to go back to whatever is comfortable. I'm going to go back to whatever, is, whatever I'm used to. Jesus called Peter and said, Peter, I want you to be fisher. I want you to be a fisher, but I want you to fish for men. And, Jesus, and now Peter is saying, I'm gonna, I know what I was called to, but now I'm going to go back and I'm going to fish for fish. Because Jesus is gone. My life is where it is now. I'm, 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 I'm 35 years old. I've got three kids. I've got a mortgage. I've got all this. I just need to focus on what's in front of me. And hear me, that's not wrong. Do that. That's not wrong at all, but it's that we're missing, that God's like, hey, I've had, a, I've had a bigger plan for you. I've had a bigger picture for you. And so often what happens is, is that we get stuck in just the comfortable. We get stuck in the comfortability. We, we, we want to just, we want to settle for what we know. Sometimes when we realize that that we've been running from God or we've been stuck in this failure, that, that we've realized that this failure happened. We want to we dive into our work, not because we're just like, you know what, I'm just going to, I just love my work so passionately, but it's because they just, we want to we distract ourselves from what's really going on. Sometimes that happens where we just, we bounce from being busy to being distracted, from busy to being distracted um, because we don't want to deal with what's going on on the inside. And that Peter is saying, he said, my, one of my best friends, Jesus, just died. He had, they, they don't know who this guy is talking to them yet. And he's saying to his guys, let's just go fishing. Because he knows, do you guys remember what happened three days ago? I don't know if y'all remember or not, but I, I denied him. I denied him and I denied him three different times. And guess what? Jesus heard and he saw me. And now I don't know what to do. It's, I'm too far gone. So I'm just going to go fishing. 
And I think for some of us, as we find ourselves in that place, that we're just saying, you know what, I'm just going to go fishing. I'm going to bury myself in my job. I'm going to bury myself even in my kids. I'm going to try to achieve. I'm going to try to earn money. I'm going to try to do all these things. Again, not bad things. They become bad when they become the ultimate thing that we're giving our life to. Simba, Simba ran off and was with these, these two animals. And they were singing and dancing and having a blast. And they were eating all the, the grubs or whatever they are. I don't know. And they were doing like, but they weren't like outwardly horrible things. But Simba wasn't called to be doing that. Simba was called to be king. As soon as his dad died, Simba was now king. But instead of actually stepping into what God's called us to, stepping into the relationship that we talked about for the past month of saying, hey, there's this relationship with Jesus that is so close and so intimate that you, feel, you, you know he's there. But we allow life to get in the way of saying, yeah, but... I know that's important, but I got to get to my, I got to get to this. I got to get to that. I got to do this. I got to, and we find ourselves saying, I'm just going fishing. Somewhat, sometimes what we do when we realize we're not where God wanted us is we settle for the comfort that we do now, which is a lot of times going back. And then the second question I have for us this morning is, is how does Jesus respond to us when we fail? How does Jesus respond to us when we fail? Verse, same chapter, John 21, verse 4. Right after the, where we were, it says, Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, No, he asked them, or he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And the disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the fish, full, uh, the net full of fish. And for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. How, do we, how does Jesus respond? How does Jesus respond to us in the midst of our failure? I think there's two, two, two ways, probably more, but two today. First is, is there's a constant invitation, a constant invitation. As I read that story, some of you probably recognized it, right? You probably recognized the story of like, oh yeah, I remember that. Jesus was on the shore and he looked out to the boat and he saw the guys fishing and they were struggling in their fishing. And so he says, hey guys, put it on the other side of the boat and when you get the fish, uh, or there'll be fish there, and it's going to be too many for you to carry, yada, yada. We, we've heard that story, but that happens two times in the Bible. It also happens early on, the first time Jesus meets Peter. The first time Jesus meets Peter, he's, he's teaching, and then, uh, the, 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 he's doing the, he's preaching. Um, it's that popular one, I can't think of it. Sermon on the Mount, y'all have heard of it. And so he's, he's talking, and he's sharing, and he says, hey, Hey, guys, I want you to put the net on the other side now. And what happens is that they, they bring in the hall of fish, and immediately Peter's like, this is the Messiah, and he bows down and he worships. Well, then it happens again after the resurrection. Why? Because I believe that Jesus is saying there is a constant invitation to you. 
that no matter how far you've gone, no matter how far, no, no matter what's happened to you or what you've done, the constant invitation is always there, that he's recreating that miraculous moment where he called you into his family and he's still calling you today. He's still calling you this morning and saying, hey, I know where you've been. I know what you've done. And guess what? The invitation is still there. He's saying, I've not changed my view of you. I've not changed my perspective of you. I still want you. And he's creating this entire thing. I mean, like, it to, down to the T where he's even saying, little, I love it because one of the commentaries in the, in, uh, for this verse is saying that when he says children, he's actually, it's like, a, it's like a playful way of Jesus being like, little boys, have you caught anything? You know, it's kind of like this real playful way that, that Jesus is doing that. But, but even in that, you see Jesus' heart. That he's saying, I know, Peter, this is the first time we've talked since, you know, you know. But he's saying, but put it on the other side. Watch what happens. And he does. Jesus is saying that the invitation is still there. The constant invitation that Jesus is saying, no matter where you've been, no matter where you've, what you've done, no matter how far you've wandered off Simba, come back. You're still the king. He's saying that invitation will not go away. And the second way that he does it, the second way he does it is he does it with a healing touch. A healing touch. It continues on in verse 9. And it says, And when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. And so Simon Peter went aboard and hauled off the net and grabbed some of the fish. And they ate. And so Jesus is saying again, so a healing touch. He's saying, come have breakfast. Come and enjoy breakfast. Sit down and eat. But maybe you recognize that one word. It says, but there was a charcoal fire sitting near them. Why'd they specify that? And it's fascinating because there's another charcoal fire. There's fires all over the Bible, right? We see fires all over the Old Testament, the New Testament. There's fires everywhere. One, time, one other time in all of Scripture do they use this term, charcoal fire. And that was when? That's when Peter was warming himself around a charcoal fire, denying Jesus. Peter, Jesus is saying, Peter, I haven't forgotten. But guess what? I don't want to forget. I want to heal it. What he's saying is, is that he's saying, I want you to have this, I brought this charcoal fire. I don't know if it's the best way to cook fish. I don't know. I don't know if it's like the only way. I don't know. All I know is that I believe that Jesus is saying, I want to bring you back to that moment of pain, not because I want to hurt you, but because I want to touch you and I want to heal that point. Because I don't want you, Peter, to walk around for the rest of your life every time you see a fire, immediately feeling shame and guilt of saying, oh my gosh, I remember what I did to Jesus. He doesn't want us walking around every time we, we, we interact with that person that may have hurt us and thinking that that person then is going to create some shame or guilt or pain. He's saying, no, I want to heal it. He's saying, I want to heal it. So I'm inviting you into this invitation because I want to give you a healing touch to be able to heal that point of, of, of pain. He's saying, I've got these two ways that I want to, I want to bring you back into the fold. He's saying, I want to invite you. I want to continually invite you. 
but then I also want to heal the point of pain. I want to heal that point of pain. I don't want you to, I don't want you to walk around feeling that and continually being hurt by it. And so not only does Jesus recreate the miraculous moment that he called Peter, but he also recreated the moment of shame, the moment of pain, so they could heal it. And so for some of us this morning, that scares us. For some of us, that scares us to death because we're like, I don't want to go back to that. I don't want to, I don't want to step back into to that, that pain. I don't want to step back into that failure. I don't want to step into that because it, it's going to hurt. And I want to tell you this morning that in the same way that Jesus, I believe that Jesus is welcoming Peter in. How does he do? How does Jesus do it? He does it with breakfast. He wants to heal with breakfast. How many know you, don't, you only have breakfast with people you like? You know what I mean? Like, you know, you, you can have lunch with a lot of people. You can have dinner with a lot of people. <laughs> but breakfast is a sacred because it's morning and it may be for or after your coffee. And so you're like, you got to, I think Jesus is probably pretty mild-headed most of the time. But I believe that he's trying to say, hey, I want to share a meal with you. He's saying, I know you're scared. I know you're, you're, you're terrified of having to go back and revisit maybe that sin that you've caused to other people or that deep, dark secret that's inside of you that is causing you shame every single day. I know you're scared of that. But he's saying, I'm not going to meet that with aggression. I think some of us, we feel like God's angry at us. We feel like he's mad at us. He feels like we're like thinking like it's, a, it's like a, a, a big ogre dad that's like, you got to get this together kind of a thing. And Jesus is like, no, just come and sit and have breakfast and go, oh, oh, by the way, the charcoal fireplace is there, but it's not to bring you more shame. It's to bring you a healing touch. Or that there's a, there's a person in our, in our life that has, has done some things to us or hurt us in ways or betrayed us or whatever it may be. And Jesus isn't saying, I want to bring you back into that to put you back into danger. He said, I want to re- free you. I want to free you from that bondage of pain that they're causing you. And the way he does that is commu- just a constant connection with him. Which brings me to my last question. Is that if we've got these two responses, the way we can respond to our failures and the way Jesus responds to our failures, the last question is, is what now? What now? John 21, continuing on, in verse 15, it says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Son, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. question for us this morning is, is what now? That maybe we've been in this place like Peter where we've responded by just, just kind of making it to Friday, you know? 
Maybe there was a call on our life. Maybe, maybe, it was in, maybe it was in a student ministry or youth ministry, or maybe it was a few years ago, or maybe when you were a child, or maybe it was last week, or whatever it may be, that maybe God was saying, hey, I've got something special for you. And then he does. I, if, you, if, if nobody's told you that this morning, can I tell you? God's got something very, very special for you. That he's got something incredibly powerful for you. And that maybe you look in the mirror and you're like, I don't believe it. I don't believe that. Because when I was a kid, my parent told me this. Or when I was a, a teenager, this happened to me. And I, so I don't believe that there's anything special. There's anything there for me. I don't believe God. And I, I want to tell you, God's saying there's something special for you. And so if you're responding the same way Peter is, can I tell you, you don't have to. And then now Jesus is saying, I've come and I've given you a constant invitation back into the fold, back into where, where you don't have to do anything or earn anything. You could just come back. And he's saying, I do want to touch and heal, not because I want to cause pain, but because I want to cause healing. So the question is, is what now? Jesus' heart for Peter is this. Peter, do you love me? Yeah, you love me? Okay. Then let's feed my sheep. If, if God was angry with us, don't you think it would sound more like, Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Then why didn't you? Well, why didn't you love me back then when I needed you? Why didn't you when I needed that? Why, why did you go this direction? Why, Simba, are you still in the woods? Why? But that's not Jesus' response. Jesus' response is saying, let's move forward. He's saying, if you love me, then let's go feed the sheep. Because guess what? There's a broken, hurting, desperate world that needs us to say, you know what? I have screwed up. And by the grace of God, I'm forgiven. And I'm going to keep moving forward. Because the world is looking at us and saying, we need what they have. But they don't even look like they want what they have. I love the story of Peter again earlier in the, in the, the book, the Bible. Earlier in the Bible, he's, he sees him and his disciples see Jesus walking to them on the water. And they're walking, he's just walking on the water, which just another Wednesday. No, he's just walking out to his disciples. And Peter, what does Peter say? Peter says, Jesus, if that's you, then call me out there. Call me out onto the water. Let me walk on the water with you. And Jesus says, then come on. And Peter gets out of the boat and he walks on water. The only other recorded human in history to walk on water. But what happens is Jesus, uh, Peter begins to sink. Peter begins to doubt. Peter begins to get scared. Peter begins to, 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 to in all intents and purposes, fail because he's taking his eyes off Jesus and he's just like, I gotta figure this out. I gotta figure out how to, how to keep myself above water. I gotta, and he begins to sink. And Jesus grabs him and pulls him up and says, come on, buddy, puts him in the boat. And I love the story because the story doesn't end there. The story doesn't end there because in John it says, and then the boat immediately arrived at shore. Immediately arrived at shore. And when they got there, there were hundreds of people waiting, desperate for Jesus. Peter's next response is, do I sit in the boat and just try to dry off? And be like, well, I screwed up. I don't know if you guys saw it, but I screwed up back there. 
Or does Peter get out of the boat and say, guys, I know I'm dripping wet. I know it's wet. It's a long story. I was walking on water. I sank. Big deal. But listen, there's Jesus right here. Y'all got to meet him. And that's what he does. And the story continues on and that, that Jesus touches and heals every single person that was there. In the same way, Jesus is looking at this man. He's saying, Peter, do you love me? Mikey, do you love me? If you love me, then let's move on. Let's move on. Let's, let's get up and go feed my sheep. And he says it three times. I believe he says it three times to counteract the three times that Peter denied him. He's saying, get up. Let's move. Get up. Let's move. Because there's a world of sheep that are desperate for you. They're desperate to know what you know. They're desperate to experience what you experience. And maybe we're in here this morning and we hear that and we're like, well, that doesn't seem like, well, how? Okay, so, so Jesus just sees my sin. He sees my failures and he just wants to sweep it under the rug. No, not at all. Jesus saw your sin and said, I've got it. I've got it. And he goes to the cross and he takes our sin. He takes our failures. He takes our brokenness. He takes all of that already. And he says, guess what, Peter? I've already put that in the grave because it says after this, Jesus appeared to these people. The after this is what matters. He says, after I've taken your sin and destroyed it in the pits of, of the grave, I have taken it. And so you can get up and you can move. Not because you deserve it, not because you, you've done anything, but because I have already taken it upon myself and made it right. And so church, let's not give the sin and the struggles and the pain any more time in our life. Let's move forward and say, there's a world that's desperate for us. There's a world that needs us to know, the world that needs to know what we know. So if you're in here this morning and you're struggling with just like, ah, I don't know. Ah, that sounds too good to be true. Then great, that means you're listening <laughs> because it is too good to be true. Everything about the cross is too good to be true. Everything about Jesus is too good to be true. That's why we worship him. That's why he's our living hope. That's why he is worth it. And so we can get up and we can feed his sheep. That's the what now. If you find yourself in the midst of a jungle, I'm gonna keep going back to Simba. Oh, Simba. If you can find yourself singing Hakuna Matata and trying to convince yourself that you're okay, you can stop and say, I'm not okay, but I know the one that is. And I'm gonna trust him enough to say, I'm gonna keep moving forward. And I'm gonna feed his sheep. Or maybe you're in here this morning and you've never known Jesus. You've never experienced him as your father, as your savior, as your God, as your, as your redeemer. You've never experienced him in that way. And maybe you're in the, here this morning and you're feeling, you're feeling all the, the, the warm and fuzzies or maybe you're not, maybe you're just like, Okay, this makes sense. Either way, I would say today could be the day that you say, this is my miraculous moment that I get to meet Jesus as my savior. 
that I get to meet Jesus as my Father. And if that is you this morning, I wanna, I'm gonna pray for you. And I would encourage you to pray, use your own words or use the words I'm saying, but truly believe what's about to happen. And I, be, and, I, and I believe based on scripture, based on experience, based on everything I know, that what it takes is for us to make a decision to say, I want Jesus to be my savior. And then we can move on and feed his sheep. And so if that's you this morning, pray with me. Lord, we just, Jesus, I just, we just come before you as a broken person needing you needing a savior, needing a God that, to, to come in and to rescue us, to be our hero, to be our savior, our redeemer. Lord, we need you this morning. Come into my life, take it over. Lord, I give my heart to you.